But I'd like you to answer this question the best you can. And before I do that, can someone please close that gate where the children could escape from that is leading to this auditorium? Thank you. <laughs> yeah, no missing children. All right, if a friend of yours sent a WhatsApp message asking you to send a picture of your church, you get one picture to send them, I would like to know what picture you would send of your church. A selfie. <laughs> Think about it for more than five seconds, please. <laughs> okay, so I've got someone that would send a picture of your life group, someone that would send a picture of his face. Anyone who would send a picture of this auditorium. You can put your hand up, feel free, because you get to choose what picture you would send. How many of you would take a picture where Anne is standing and get a picture of the chairs and this worship team and the stage? Would that sum up your church for you? A few of you. Maybe some of you online would send a picture of your computer screen, church online. Maybe you'd send a picture of the tea and coffee tables on the side, our scones. Maybe that would be the picture that you'd send of our church. I think most, if we were to be honest, would send a picture of this, the stage, the pulpit, to describe our church. And I think part of the series that we've been doing and encouraging you is to look back to that early church that started around a table on a Sunday night, and as church went on, it went from the table to an altar, to a pulpit, to a stage. And it's important to look back and say, Jesus, what is the church that you had in mind when you said, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail? And I want us to think differently about what Jesus calls church and church community. And last week, if you were here with us, we looked at these six words that are used to describe a practice of the early church and a practice that we take today when, it, when we talk about breaking bread or communion and all the different expressions of this word. So if you haven't listened to it, I encourage you to do so. I think the bottom line of what I said was that most New Testament scholars and historians unanimously agree that for hundreds of years, the practice of communion was a full meal around a table. And it was a meal that they shared together most of the time in homes, but not always in homes. And my encouragement last week was this, that I don't think the end goal of you being a follower of Christ is to sit just in a church meeting, that that is not the finish line. This helps equip you to be the church. This is an opportunity that God uses for us to gather together, be equipped to then be the church and to do church together. And I wanna start off by saying again, I'm going to look back to the early church. I wanna say that the early church was not perfect and the early church did not have the perfect model for church. I know structures have changed over the years. Often values don't change, but structures have changed. But I think there are about 150 rebukes to the church in the New Testament. They were not the perfect version that maybe Jesus had in mind of the early church. And last week I told you in 1 Corinthians 11, he had to 
rebuke that early church that were getting drunk, drinking too much wine around that Eucharist or around that um, agape feast and they were eating all the food and they weren't leaving some for those that were poor and still working on the Sunday. So there is no perfect church and there is no perfect structure. There is a poem by Mavis Williams called The Perfect Church that says this, if you should find the perfect church without one fault or smear, for goodness sake, don't join that church. You will spoil the atmosphere. If you should find the perfect church where all anxieties cease, then pass it by, lest joining it, you admire the, the masterpiece. If you should find the perfect church, they don't, then don't you even dare to tread upon such holy ground. You'd be a misfit there. But such a perfect church exists, made of imperfect men. Let me say that again. But since no perfect church exists made of imperfect men, men, then let's cease looking for that church and love the church we're in. Of course, it's not a perfect church. That's simple to discern. But you and I and all of us should cause the tide to turn. What fools are we to flee our post in that unfruitful search to find at last where problems loom, God proudly builds his church. So let's keep working in our church until the resurrection, and then we'll each join that church without any imperfections. There is no perfect church and there is no perfect structure of a church. So again, as we look back to Acts 2 of this early church, we find that the believers... Met in the upper room, God poured his spirit out over a group of 120 people. The spirit falls, known as Pentecost. They then walk out of that church, and Peter gives this great sermon, and it says 3,000 people got saved. So the church went from 120 to 3,120. And then it says, straight after that, all the believers devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to fellowship, to sharing in meals, included the Lord, and including the Lord's Supper, and to prayer. Now, this word devoted means to, continually, to continue steadfastly in a thing and give continuous care to it, to persevere, and to be busily engaged in it. So last week, I think it was last week, we had a prayer and fasting week where certain times of the year we commit to intentional prayer, gathering together to pray and to fast. And I think in winter we do prayer and feasting, but most of the time it is prayer and fasting. And in that time, there is a commitment to make all those prayer meetings. So we prayed on Tuesday morning, we did a prayer walk. And then on Thursday night, we came, or Wednesday night, we prayed in life groups. On Thursday night, we came into the, into the upper room. And then again, Sunday morning and Sunday evening, we had a worship and prayer time. I was devoted to prayer that week. And then when that week ended, I was like, oh, thank goodness. Just back to normal routine of life. There is said of this early church that there was a devotion to these four things. The apostles' teaching, which is like the New Testament, to sharing of meals, including the Lord's Supper, to fellowship, which we'll look at, and to prayer. And it says that they devoted themselves to it. I love that picture that they weren't being begged by the pastor to be at a church meeting. There was just this, I wanna call it revival. There was a move of the Spirit 
on those people and they couldn't help meet together in homes, listening to the apostles teaching, in, in um, prayer meetings, they were there. There was a self-devotion to these things. Acts 2 verse 43 says, a deep sense of awe came over all of them and the apostles performed many miraculous signs and wonders and all the believers met together in one place and shared everything they had. They sold their, pro their property and possessions and shared the money with those in need. That is like just amazing that they would be so, we are sold out for this that I will sell my extras to make sure that there's no lack and need in this group. And they worshiped together at the temple each day in homes for the Lord's Supper and they shared their meals with great joy and generosity, all the while praising God and enjoying the goodwill of all the people. And each day the Lord added to their fellowship those who were being saved. There was a great move of God. There was something that got them excited and committed to what God was doing. So what does fellowship look like today? This word fellowship is the word we're going to look at, this word koinonia. Why is it that they had to devote themselves to fellowship? And again, I have to paint the picture that there were difficult times, that they were suffering persecution in Acts 2. There was an intense persecution, or Acts 4, that they were being persecuted more intensely. In Acts 5, they were being thrown into jail. In Acts 8, they were being scattered because of the persecution. So when you are being persecuted, who knows you need to stick together with those that you are doing life with and say we need to encourage each other and be with each other and join in this, we gotta get through this difficult period. I always wonder what the church will be like in five years' time. 10 years time. And my inkling, my belief is that it will be more difficult to be a believer in the days to come. That we will again experience persecution for standing up for what we believe the Bible says. So they were, there was a devotion. They met together. They shared their possessions. They lived life together. They broke bread together. They praised God together. There was one heart and one soul. Um, they were of one heart and one soul. There was no need amongst them. They were devoted to one another. I wanna say this about being devoted to those that are different to you. I have people that I do life with in this church and they don't all share the same passions that I share. They don't all love the same sport that I love. They don't all maybe support the same football team that I support or the things that I have an interest in. They don't all listen to the same music I listen to. We are different. But what is the thing we all have in common? Come on, this is the easy answer. <laughs> Jesus. When in doubt, just say Jesus for every difficult question the pastor throws out in church. The thing that they had in common was Jesus. They had just had Passover. So different nations and tribes and languages came and met together. We have the, the, the festival of Pentecost, the outpouring of the Spirit. So they weren't all the same sort of people. You know when they started, they, they thought they were drunk and they started speaking these other languages. There were people that spoke different languages, which means they were different. But they had something in common. We all today have this thing in common, and his name is Jesus. We all gather because of this person, 
as followers of Christ, of Jesus. And I don't believe that this devotion to these things was just a special anointing God had over the church at that time. I believe that there is a community of God's people. He is the one building his church. And this early church had this structure. And as I said, I don't think it was the perfect structure, but they met in the temple and they met in homes. Maybe today there is a different structure, but they had the big meeting and the small meeting. And the big meeting is for teaching, for correction, to learn, to worship together, to listen. And in the small meeting in the home, that's far more participation orientated. That's more the unpackaging of it and doing life together and praying for one another. I wanna say this morning that God cares about what happens between Sundays. I am someone that believes that church isn't just the hour and a half that happens on a Sunday morning. There's far more to church than a church meeting or a church celebration. If we were to ask the Holy Spirit to challenge us as a church, you know in Revelation he goes to, I think it's Ephesus, and he says, church, you have lost your first love. I have this against you, you have lost your first love. I wonder if we were open to what the Spirit was saying today, what correction or rebuke that he would give us. And I, you can agree or disagree with me, but I feel he might say you lack in the church that which is supposed to happen outside of the church celebration. You can try and get a sense of what you think the Spirit would say to the church today, but I think, I think he would say you lack the things that you are supposed to be devoted to participating in outside of what we do just on a church Sunday morning for an hour and a half. See, we can be famous for our scones, but the strength of the church is what happens in circles. Some churches will say the strength of their church is because they have a great communicator, an awesome public speaker. Or maybe they say our strength is their worship team or their kids' ministry. But I wanna say I believe the strength, is, the strength lies in the people in the community, not just in the celebration. I, I can be brutally honest with you. There are some things in like a church meeting like this that can irritate me because we sang a song that didn't have some English words in it. And this projector kept going off during worship. And I'm hot and sweaty and in my line, looked for the mic and there was no microphone for her to take. And you know, there are so many things that can <clears throat> get me irritated. Irritation about a gathering. But who knows, there is more than just a gathering. Because you can arrive at 10 past nine on a Sunday morning and walk out at half past 10 and not have done much other than sit and maybe sing a few songs and say an amen if you are kind enough. Two amens. <laughs> so I wanna ask you, church, what do you think are some of the things that hinder us from being more devoted to this word fellowship? I wanna ask you, do you think post-COVID that we are living with less margin in our lives? You know what margin is? It's the space between our current pace and our limits. I'm a bit nervous to do this. 
What is margin? Margin is the space between your limits. In the world that we live in now, don't be, don't, don't be nervous, Lucy, it's okay. The, the reality is, I think most of us are living with very little margin in our lives. And I could keep blowing this to show you the point, is that you have very little margin for real life, deep community and relationships. Even not enough margin just for time with your spouse and your children. That's why I wonder what has changed post-COVID in the blur between office time and work time. So let's just get some more margin in this. There we go. Can you see there's more margin here? You're not at that point where just anything can just kaboom and things fall apart. I also believe that I also believe that we live in a different time when it comes to even this. See, the church had to kind of come together to listen to a sermon back in the day because that's where you had to go, to a church building. But there are great sermons on here. There's even awesome worship music and time to worship by yourself. The early church never had WhatsApp. I've got a love-hate relationship with WhatsApp. You know, I can pastor really well with WhatsApp. And I think you can be in a BFF group and you can share things and you can feel like you're in community. But then I also have some things that I'm like, listen guys, there's more to just a WhatsApp community group. You know when someone says, my dad is sick, can you pray? And all we do is send a... <laughs> we don't really pray, but we pretend we pray. Or we send a thumbs up or a little emoji, hands up. So who believes that there is more than just being part of a WhatsApp community group? They devoted themselves, this word koinonia. What does koinonia mean? In the, in the New Testament, this word koinonia was used of a business partnership where two or more persons would share the same business and thus closely connect in work. It also was used of marriage, of a shared life of two persons, a man and a woman together. Further, it was sometimes used as a perceived relatedness to a God, such as Zeus. And finally, it was used to refer to the spirit of generosity, sharing in contrast to the spirit of selfishly acquiring things. So what does this word koinonia mean? Well, it means fellowship. It can also be translated communion, as we learned last week. Contribution, sharing, and partnership. This is where we get our word community from. So how does it look in, in practice? This is three people that try to define what fellowship is. Fellowship is intentional relationship around the way of Jesus. It is the gathering with the goal of encouraging each other to spiritual growth. It's doing life together. It's sharing in the life of Jesus together. There are plenty of gatherings that happen throughout the week. I, I gather with a group that exercises together. Maybe it's a running group. Maybe it's a book club. There are many gatherings that we do. Actually, there are many friendships that we have, even Christian friendships, that will not be categorized as fellowship. So I'll pick on my friend Fred. Fred, there was a time in our, in our friendship where you were not satisfied with 
just friendship. You desired more. So we would get together, we would have a braai, we would talk about rugby, or we would talk about our cricket team, and we would talk about the elections coming up, whatever it was, and he would get frustrated and say, what about Jesus? When are we going to talk about Jesus? When are we going to share what the Lord is doing in our lives and what he's saying? Because what is the difference between just friendship and fellowship? You tell me, what's the difference? Yeah, if you don't know the answer, just look to my left or my right. (laughs) Intentional relationships around the way of Jesus. It is gathering with a goal. So yes, gatherings are good, and we gather in many spaces and places, but it is gathering with the goal to encourage each other to grow spiritually. It is doing life together. It's sharing in the life of Jesus. So my encouragement to us is that there is this word koinonia, which means fellowship, and these early disciples devoted themselves to this. And my question today is, how are we doing when it comes to fellowship? Doing life in circles, not just in pews. I will say this, for the last 20 years that I've been a part of this church, I have only known church in a building and church in a home. I have been a part of a small group, a cell group, a small group, a community group, and now we call them life groups for 20 years. I don't know church differently. I know church around a table or in a circle. My circle of influence, it's not called rows of influence, it's called a circle of influence. This is the place where I've been discipled, where I've been cared for, where I've been loved, where I've been challenged. We've laughed together and we've cried together. This is the place where the early church the primary activity of the early church was one anothering one another. You know, there are just under 60 one another's in the Bible. Here are some examples. Love one another. Be devoted to one another in brotherly love. Honor one another above yourself. Live in harmony with one another. Serve one another in love. Carry each other's burdens. Encourage one another. Spur one another on towards love and good deeds. Confess your sins to each other. Pray for each other. And it goes on. So my question is, how much one anothering is how much one anothering is going on in our church? And that answer will vary between your connectivity, how what sort of relationships you have in this church. Again, you may be new, you may not know many people. You may be a seeker that's still just investigating what it means to be a follower of Christ. But for those that have been around long enough, how much one anothering is going on? Because this is the thing. And I'm gonna try and express my heart. That your responsibility is to one another, those that are sitting in this room. Not just to arrive at a celebration and say, feed me. Give me. I like this, I like that, I don't like this. I like this preacher, not that preacher, this worship team, not that worship team. Your responsibility is to one another, one another. And, and, and let me just say, that is, this is the hard part. This is the easy part. 
The hard part is loving those that are different to you. The hard part is carrying someone else's burdens. The hard part is encouraging someone in their walk with the Lord and their, their journey. The hard part is actually to pray for them. The hard part is to go visit them in hospital or go take a meal when someone's sick. This is the hard part, church, and this is why we need the Holy Spirit to do this. Who knows it's hard to confess your sins to one another? And the list goes on. How much one anothering is going on? And before I get into three quick points, I do wanna give a disclaimer that my intention is to encourage, not to rebuke. And why I say this, the other day I had lunch with someone who has a high capacity job and two very small children and their life is crazy at the moment. So my encouragement to you is I wanna encourage you to push more into fellowship and community, but I understand there are seasons and stages in life where some of those things get difficult. I understand that sometimes you have a sick loved one or you've got a child that just never sleeps or whatever challenge you're going through. So I get it. I've been through some stages of life, not as many as some older people in this room, but my heart is this, to encourage us to pursue fellowship. And that can happen in the traditional sense of once a week in a life group, and it can happen in different forms and ways. My goal is that you pursue one another, not just for an hour and a half on a Sunday morning, but between Sundays. And that means, can I come over for a meal? Or, or you can come for a, a meal to my house. Or visiting someone, or going and encouraging someone. This is the hard part, church. But this is my heart for a church. My heart is not just to build a big show on a Sunday morning. My heart is to try and equip us to be the church between Sundays. I don't have to convince you because you're sitting here today, or most of you, I don't have to convince you on the value of this. But I'm here today to con try and convince you of the value of meeting between Sundays and being vulnerable and opening your life up to another group of people. And not just friendship, but fellowship. So three things that I learned about this early church is that their witness took time and intentionality. Just read the New Testament. Priscilla and Aquila greet also the church that meets in their house, give greetings to the brothers at Laodicea and to the church in her house. Um, it goes on, these community of people that met in homes and did shared life together. So my first point is their witness took time and intentionality. And as we end this busy year, and as we go into another busy year, and as we have a bit of a break in December, and then we set our New Year's resolutions, please, can we try and find more capacity, more margin in our life to do this next year? Please. We run from Monday to Monday exhausted with very little time to connect, really connect feel like you belong, feel like people know you and love you. 
Inviting you to my home is a vulnerable thing. You get to see something quite personal when you come into my home. But I wish I had more margin to, to meet with people that I love in this church, to have meals together, to share with one another. So first point, their witness took time and intentionality. And if you wanna grow next year, if you wanna grow spiritually, Eugene Peterson said it well, there can be no maturity in the spiritual life, no obedience in following Jesus and no wholeness in the Christian life apart from an immersion in and embrace of community. I am not myself by myself. If you wanna grow next year, it is done in community. It is not done in isolation. God is a communal God. He has built you for community and relationship. You are made like that. You are made to be dependent on others. You are made to sharpen one another. I am not myself by myself. I am not who I am today without a community of people over the years that have built into my life. Number two, their witness resulted in deep spiritual connections, forming bonds that eventually became like family. Someone said this of a local church, an ever-expanding fellowship of friends and friends of friends. I wanna say I believe that's a step further. I love to see the friendships and relationships in this church, but I believe it can become family to some people where my friends are not just friends, they are my brothers and sisters, and I found family. So for some of you, it's just starting with friendships, and for others, it's taking friendships to a whole nother level where you literally can say, these people are my family. I love them deeply. I belong here, they know me and, and I am known, and I know them. And lastly, their witness enhanced their witness. Francis Schaeffer said this, our relationships with each other is the criterion that the world uses to judge whether our message is truthful. Christian community is the final apologetic. Um, was it last weekend? We celebrated our friend's birthday. It was a big birthday, it was 40. I hope you don't mind me saying that, Lauren. <clears throat> and Lauren is a very community person and she would have had the whole church there if she could have. But I wanna say, we sat there and we listened to some people honoring her life and celebrating their relationship and friendships. And there were people there that didn't know the Lord and there were people there that are from other churches. But I wanna say this, if you were there, you experienced a picture of church and community. It was beautiful. And it is a longing and a desire that I have for each person that can find people that they can do shared life with. To journey this life with people. And for those that stick around in this country for the next 10, 20, 50 years, we are going to need each other more. Our strength is gonna be in our circles. If things get harder, we will need each other more. But let's not wait till things get harder to say, I need someone. Where is someone bringing me a meal? 
Where is someone coming and helping? It starts now building those relationships and friendships, pursuing one another, having meals, getting to know one another, sharing your stories. I wonder what that picture was of church when Jesus said, I will build my church. The worship team can come up onto stage. I think I have said enough for this temperature in this auditorium. I don't know if you're looking at your watch all the time or if you're just trying to wave. It's like, come on, pastor, get this done. More, are you asking for more? I got a voice note from someone this week because I wanna just correct something I said. I said, December, we're all going on holiday. The reality is no, we're not all going on holiday. And a lot of us will be here in December. What a good opportunity to invite someone over to your house for a meal. Hey, bring and share if you can't do it all. Wesley alluded to this in our notices. We are shutting down our service on the 31st of December. There will be no church service on the 31st of December for those that are in Johannesburg on the 31st of December. How many of you are in Joburg on the 31st of December? By a show of hands, lift them high. Wow, there's still lots of you. That Sunday could have been a Sunday like this. But we're not going to meet here in this building. We're gonna meet in your homes. So I'm going to challenge you to invite someone over for breakfast or lunch or brunch or dinner, whatever you want. But it's going to happen in a house on the 31st. And if you are someone that is brand new to this church and you don't know a single person and you're saying, I would love to be in someone's home on that Sunday, please put your name down at the information desk and I will connect you to someone who is open to strangers coming over for a meal. The bravest of the brave. People that would make their home available to say, come and eat with us. So, Start thinking about who you're gonna send that WhatsApp message to on Sunday the 31st and say it's a bring and share or a bring and bry or a scottle breakfast at our house on Sunday morning the 31st. Again, there will be no church meeting. In rows, it will be in circles around a table. Is that okay? And if next year I decide that we do this more often and we shut down the building, then we'll shut down the building. Because that's okay, right? Oh, I've already upset some people. <laughs> Don't mess with the holy cow of Sunday morning. The 9 to 10.30 slot. 